neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. 1 John 4:19 to 21. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God who, whom they have not seen. And he has given this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Thanks. How do you evaluate decisions? How do you make choices in your life? I, I, of course, the big ones, you know, who do I marry? Where do I go to school? Should I quit this job? Should I build a new house? Should I leave the Crescent Valley forever and never come back? The big decisions of life. But, but I'm also thinking about the smaller decisions, and perhaps even for this morning's purposes, the, the decisions that really affect life at a, at a, at a, at a fundamental level, at a daily level, like... Um, how do I respond to that person I met in the grocery store who really wants to tell me that juicy story about my neighbor? Or how do I talk to my child who's really frustrating me for the tenth time that day? Um, how do I uh, think about the people that are around me, maybe at work or maybe at school? And we don't always think of those as decisions or choices, but, but really they are, right? That during the day, every day, we have choices about what we're going to think about, about action we're going to take or not take, uh, things we're going to say or not say. We, we have choices that we make. And sometimes those choices are, are quick. Like, we don't really have a lot of warning about how I'm going to respond to that person's uh, sharp comment. Or, or maybe I don't have a lot of warning when something negative happens and, and I've got to decide what to do. But we all make choices every day. We take action. We, we set priorities even. We don't think of it always that way, but, but we do on a weekly level. We decide, what is my week going to be about this week? What am I going to do or not do? What am I going to pursue or not pursue? Some of us, we do. We live life on the ragged edge, I realize, and we don't think a lot about priorities. We just kind of do whatever comes to us. I understand that. But in that way, in some ways, we've said, my priority will be whatever comes to me and squeaks the loudest or yells the longest. We, we each have some way of evaluating the choices that we make and what we do. We know that good decisions, and that's why I think when we have some of the big decisions in life, we, we do sit down and think about them. We know that good decisions depend on good information, about knowing what's important, of knowing what really matters, what really matters to me, what really matters to my family, what really matters to God. We, we know that good, de- good decisions are based on, on good information. But don't you feel some days that you wish you had some sort of matrix, some sort of gauntlet you could run decisions through, some sort of filter, grid, if you want to say, some way of, of figuring out, okay, I'm facing this decision, how do I think about it? Like, how do I make this decision? And, and, and wouldn't it be nice if that was, you know, something small enough, portable enough, that we could kind of carry it around our back pocket, pull it out, and make a decision on the spot with what to do? I mean, we know if we're following Jesus, we know that we're supposed to take this book, this beautiful book, and that this book is supposed to fill our hearts and our minds and shape us by God's Spirit so that we're living a life that's in line with this book. And that's true, right? Doug, thank you. That's true. But sometimes when we're facing a frustrating 10-year-old or a frustrating 45-year-old, 
We have a hard time knowing exactly how this is going to help me in that particular situation. We know it does. But wouldn't it be nice sometimes if, if someone would just kind of summarize this for us? Kind of tell us, like, what's at the, what's at the core of, of God's whole story? Like, like, if I have to make a quick decision, or I, if I'm faced with a dilemma, you know, is there someone that could please, like, boil this thing down for me? Because this can get pretty overwhelming. I don't know about you, but it can get pretty overwhelming. Here, here's your answers. Don't know how to, don't know how to react to that person at work. Don't know how to think about their, Go ahead. Figure it out. You've got ten minutes. Or two minutes. Wouldn't it be nice if someone boiled it down for me? Anyone? Wouldn't it be nice if you had some sort of grid, some sort of framework on which you could hang the decisions, both the daily interactions of how I think and how I act and what I say, and as well as those big decisions of life? Wouldn't it be nice if someone summarized it? Well, we're in luck. Because Jesus did. He summarized it for us. Somebody came to him and asked him a big question about how he would summarize all of what God has said, and he did it. He gave us this statement that's simple, it's portable, it's memorable. You could write it on the back of a business card. You could actually tuck it in your wallet if you had to. But I don't think you'd need to because I think it's simple enough that we could all carry it in our minds and we could let the Holy Spirit take this summary. It doesn't deny the importance of knowing all of God's word, but Jesus gave us the key grid, the framework, the summary that all of his story hangs on, but helps us then live in light of that story in the rest of our lives. It's found in Mark chapter 12. It's the next passage we're moving to. It's another conversation story um, in a line of conversations that Jesus had following his big upsetting visit to the temple. And following that, a lot of different groups came to him and asked him questions. And Jesus responded in kind. Today is the last kind of conversation story, and it's much less of a conflict today than some of the other stories. It's more of a conversation. But let me pray as we get into it today. Jesus, we're thankful for you. We're thankful that you spoke so clearly and so compellingly and that we face a lot of different situations in our lives, in our marriages, in our school, in our work, even in our own, just you know, trying to figure out life. We face a lot of different decisions, whether we're aware of them or not. And I pray this morning you would take your word, you would take this story, and you would apply it to our lives so that we can live as you've called us to live. In your name we pray. Amen. Uh, the, uh, yeah, if you have a Bible, open it, but inside of the bulletin there's a little uh, text as well, I think. Um, and uh, you can follow along on that as well. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. This is the next story after the, the story we, we looked at last week where the group called the Sadducees, who didn't believe in the resurrection, came to Jesus and debated with him about the resurrection. This teacher of the law came and he kind of he kind of got in on the last of the debate. And he was pretty impressed with what he heard. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, this teacher of the law asked Jesus, of all the commandments, which is the most important? It's a great question. See, through the law of Moses, the people of Israel had been given a lot of instructions from God 
and, and the, in, the instructions, the commands covered a whole variety, really it covered every area of their life from economic practices to food laws to making proper restitution when there's been a problem, marriage rights, uh, offering sacrifices, a lot of information about the, the, the tabernacle and how are they to worship and offering different kinds of sacrifices or different kinds of things and, and right down to how you deal with house mold. I mean, they, everything gets covered in this. And we might think that's kind of weird, especially now as we read along, we think this is supposed to be a spiritual book and they're, they're explaining how to deal with mildew in the walls. Like, what is that exactly? How do I apply that to my life, you know? And yet when we remember that these people of Israel were leaving Egypt after they'd been enslaved for a very long time. They'd lived in Egypt for 400 years. They had been in slavery for generations at this point. We don't know how long they exactly had been enslaved, but they were there. And now God was delivering them out of Egypt and making them a whole new nation. And they had to build their society up right from the ground. And God gave them uh, instructions and, and commandments that were designed to do just that, to help this group of people who had been living under a, a oppressive regime, were told you know, where to go, what to do, how many babies to have, where to work. Everything came from the overlords. And now they were free and they were under God. And so God was giving them all these instructions to help them live as his people in the new land he was giving them. And that helps us make more sense of what's going on in much of these Old Testament commands. And while you could say the Ten Commandments formed a bit of a core to all the rest of these, they've counted, 613 laws, there was still debate that raged among the faithful of, well, what's the most central command? You know, which command, if you boiled everything down, kind of captured the heart and expressed the essence of all that God had said. And they were kind of asking, like, which one's the, the chief, the, the header, so that if we followed that law, all the other laws would kind of fall in place. They would, they would make sense in light of that one law. It's a terrific question. And how Jesus answers not only helps us understand this somewhat confusing sometimes Old Testament It gives us an understanding of the kingdom of God that Jesus had been announcing when he arrived on the scene. The the kingdom that he was inviting people to enter. And it gives us a framework. Jesus' response gives us a framework of how we are to live right. How we are to make good decisions. How we are to respond to the people around us. How we are to express the kingdom of God in our communities, in our families, in our workplaces. Here's how he answered The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, or the Lord is the only Lord, is another translation. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. To answer the question, which one's the most important, Jesus quotes two Old Testament passages. Both of them we heard read from their original context by Maddie and, and Christy. The first one he quotes is from Deuteronomy. It's called the Shema, which means the listen. And it, it formed a central, probably the closest thing we have to sort of a confession of faith by the Jewish people. Many of them would recite it and pray it daily. So one from Deuteronomy, but then he also brings in this other quote from the book of Leviticus. 
His answer is that the whole law, everything God had said about life and about worship and about relationships, about farming practices and about restitution, about how to deal with murderers and how to, you know, deal with other nations. Everything he had, he had said was wrapped up in, came down to this one word, love. Loving God and loving others. And we've heard this many times. If you've been around church for a while, or you've, you've even, even touched on, on the Christian thing for a while, you may have heard this, that this love God and love others forms the center. And this is where it comes from. Did you notice how Jesus does the math here? He was asked to tell which commandment, singular, was the greatest. And he responds by saying, here's the most important one. And then he proceeds to quote two commands. In the end, there's even a funny little grammar twist. This commandment is the greatest, and it's these, the two of these. And a lot of translations kind of figure out how to deal with that. It's like he, he quotes a singular and then adds a plural. And, and he's, he's making a point here that the whole kingdom of God that he's been announcing and he's been demonstrating comes down to this one, I mean this two, I mean actually this one, two commands. To love. To love God and to love each other. Well, first of all, God's kingdom is about loving God. And it's a beautiful expression of that, where, where we are called to love God with all that we are. With heart, soul, mind, and strength. The message says, love the Lord your God with all your passion and prayer and intelligence and energy. It's a great way to put it. All that we are. Remember a few weeks ago when we were looking at the, the coin? And we talked about how we are created in the image of God. And as images of God, we're called to give ourselves back to God, the one who made us in his image. This, um, today, Jesus' summary, just underscores that, that we give ourselves back to God by loving him with all that we are. With our heart passions, the things that drive us, the things that get us up in the morning and keep us going through the day, that those are passions that we offer to God as an expression of our love for him. That our very soul identity, you know, what makes you, you, uniquely you, kind of the, the inner parts that maybe a lot of people don't even know about, what, what you, when you look at yourself in the mirror, who you are that you're saying, Jesus, I'm yours. That you shape my identity. That everything I am is yours. That our minds, our concerns, the thing we think about, the things we read, the things we study, the things we put into our minds, that they too express our love for God. And then our strength and our energy. We often are tired, right? We're often tired because there's so many things that pull at our energy and our strength. And so we're asked by Jesus to even evaluate the things that we're doing. Are they expressions? Are we using our energy, our strength to love God? Or are we involved in so many things that end up draining us? That we wonder at the end of the week or end of the month if we've even got any strength left to love God. This is the love that Jesus is casting for us. He's saying everything that God has said, everything that he's done, everything that he's called us to be can be summarized in our love for him, our love for God, this wholehearted, no reservation worship where we give ourselves utterly and completely to the one who's made us. But Jesus knows inherently the danger of religion that just stays there. We've seen that historically, how easily it is for people 
how easy it is for us to take this loving God business and make it a solo, private, hyper-spiritual affair that's actually removed from daily life, removed from relationships, not affecting the way that we love others, the way that we you know, work, the way that we speak, the, the way that we treat uh, one another, even in our minds, let alone in our actions. This has happened through history where people have imagined that they're doing this amazing work for God when they're actually not living right in their relationships, where they're mistreating the people around them. The church has been guilty of this. Christians have been guilty of this, of building these edifices of love for God, but mistreating the neighbor across the street. To think that they're offering pure worship to God when they're actually mistreating the poor, mistreating foreigners, mistreating their own people. And the prophets just rail about this all the time. And that's why Jesus won't let it stay there. He, he won't just say, if you just love God, everything will be okay. He can't say it. Because true followers of Jesus, when they've understood the love of God, when they've heard these words of Jesus, have known that true following of God always expresses itself in care for the poor, in care for the marginalized, caring for the abused and the disregarded. And that's why Jesus adds this second command to the first. He brings them together in a beautiful way and says, you also need to love yourself, love others as you love yourself. You do need to love yourself, but love others. To care for others as you would care for your own. To place priority on others' health and life and well-being the way that you place priority on your own. And these have to be seen together. I think we can only love God truly. We can only fulfill the first when we have the second. We can only love God truly when we love others fully. That our worship of God can't be separated from our love for others. It is so easy to do this. That's why John, in his first little letter that uh, Christy, I think, read at the end, said, whoever claims to love God and yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. These are impossibilities. These can't work together. For whoever does not, ha- does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he, referring to Jesus, has given us this command, anyone who loves God, must also love their brother and sister. This is a beautiful summary that Jesus gives us, that all of God's commands, everything he's ever said, what he's about in the world, the life of Jesus himself, the ministry of Jesus, that every page you turn can somehow point to, somehow be summarized in this simple framework that we are to love God and to love others. And the questioner, this uh, teacher of the law, he's, he's really impressed by this. And he draws an important conclusion in this text. He says, Well said, teacher. You are right in saying that God is one and there's no other but Him. To love Him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. See the power of his conclusion there? When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. The man understands what so many people have missed, even as they've studied the Bible, that God cares more about our love for others than he does about religious ritual. But how many times have people, in their concern to get the religious practice right, ended up mistreating others around them or forgetting to show love to others around them? Jesus sees this man's wisdom and he draws an important conclusion from this. He tells him he's not far off from the kingdom of God because the kingdom that Jesus has been preaching about, he's been demonstrating, is summarized in exactly this, loving God 
and loving others. He's been casting out demons. He's been healing. He's been teaching. And in his prophetic, even his prophetic pronouncements uh, that, the, that the temple will soon be done, it all flows from this fact that his coming, his action on, on our behalf, his love for us is enabling us to finally be set right with God so that we can love God and we can love one another as the Spirit works in our lives. The temple and its sacrifices, even in this man's statement, but in the life of Jesus and, and lately as we've seen his actions and coming up soon and what he says in Mark, the temple and its sacrifices, the whole system has been rendered obsolete in Jesus. That Jesus is going to go and he's going to make this final sacrifice on the Easter, Passover weekend. And that the veil within the temple here at the, in the Gospel of Mark right at the end, it is ripped from top to bottom. This veil that separates worshippers from God is ripped and done. The access has been made through Jesus the temple's going to fall, Jesus says, but it really doesn't matter because God has made a way possible to connect with him through Jesus, not through the temple. And this law, this beautiful law of God that's been given, has been summarized as love and has been fulfilled in Jesus. He came to love God the way we couldn't love him and to love others the way we couldn't do it. And now by giving us his Holy Spirit has enabled us to live this life of love that we've been called to live. So let's get practical about it. How does this um, love God, love others? Again, for many of us, this is kind of old. We've heard this many times. But how does it help us practically in our daily lives? How does it give us a framework for decisions that we make? Maybe a, a, a framework for actions we take or even priorities we set. I think what we can do, if we're conscious, and maybe it takes some discipline and some intentionality, but when we have a moment to breathe or think, we can run it through the double love test. You can call it whatever you want to call it. But we can ask ourselves a few questions about this action, about this word I'm going to say, about this story I'm going to tell, about this priority I'm going to make. And I think we can ask a few questions. The first one is obvious. Is this a loving expression? My loving expression to God. Is this word that I'm saying? Is this action I'm taking? Is this, is this service? Is, this, is, is the work I'm doing in my daily job an expression of my love for him? Or am I just being sloppy and shoddy and I really don't care? So is, is my life an expression of my love for God? Is the way that I'm speaking to my spouse an expression of my love for God? Is the way that I, I sing or the way that I serve with the gifts that God has given me, the way that I'm, I'm, as I'm interacting at the coffee shop or maybe at my school, are they expressions of my love for God? And I think there's a second question that helps me. And that is, will this action or this word or, or this thought, will it help or will it hinder me from growing in my love for God? I think that second question, help and hinder, um, you know, there's times when we come across something we think, I don't really know how this is an expression of love for God. Like, I don't, I don't know whether it will or whether it won't. But when we can ask the question, well, let me, let me think down the road. Will this action I'm taking, will this thought I'm having, will these words I'm speaking, will this priority that I'm setting, will it help me to love God more or will it actually hinder me? You know, if I, if I do that, am I going to feel guilty afterward? And, and as a result, start avoiding God. You know, if I, if I say that story, and I, am I going to realize later that I've caused someone to actually think, man, those Christians, like, 
I thought they had integrity. And I'm, I'm going I'm to hinder someone else from understanding the love of God. Will it be helping or will it be hindering my love for God or other people's love for God? I think it's an important question to ask. And the second love, of course, is the same. Is this action, is this thought, is this priority, is it expressing love for others? Is this a loving act? Is this you know, decision I'm making, am I able to say that's a loving act to that person or a loving thought or a loving priority? Am I? And then the second one, just like it. By doing this, will I help? Will I grow in love for others? Will it help me love someone else? Or will it hinder me from loving someone else? Will I fill my life with so much of my hobby that it makes it difficult for me to actually have time for others around me, for example? Will I, if, if I make this decision to have coffee, coffee with this person, will it actually help me love them more? And if the answer to that is yes, if the answer is I'll be able to help them love God more, if the answer to that is yes, then we can begin to think, well, maybe I can do that. Maybe even though that person's awkward and strange, maybe I need to express my love for God and my love for them by inviting them into my life. I don't know what it is, but I think if we can ask this double love test when we have questions or when we have um, decisions that we need to make on a daily level. Is it loving to God? Is it loving to others? Will it help or will it hinder? I dare say we could actually pull that out and apply it to many different decisions that we have throughout our weeks, throughout our days. Decisions that we may not even realize they would, it would apply to. Like I've said, words that we speak, thoughts that we think, actions that we take. Is this an expression of love for God? Will this be an expression of love for others? Does it help me grow in my love for God? Does it help me love others or will it hinder the very thing that God wants to do in my life? What kind of questions does that raise for you? I I think in particular, how does this grid of loving God and loving others, how does it help you? How does it uh, enable you as you think about decisions that you make in your own life? How is this a framework that Jesus gives us that actually makes a difference for you and I in our daily lives? Maybe you have questions about the text, about the story. Maybe you, have, maybe, maybe you just have something you'd like to add. Uh, but if we haven't done questions for a little while, I'd like to do it this morning. Roger has a microphone, and he's going to bring them around. Um, so maybe hop up, Roger, and face the crowd. And put your hand up high if you've got something you'd like to say. Uh, add to it a discussion, a comment, a question. Or maybe just how would this affect your life as you respond to what Jesus has said. Who's going to be the first brave person this morning? Don't worry, Jack can delete the silence later off the podcast. Uh, I needed a drink anyway. I know it's kind of old hat. Thank you, Martin. I know it's kind of old hat, but I think we need to ask, how can it help us? Or in what way can this change or inform or help us make decisions? Go ahead, Martin. You on? Keep talking in the microphone and he'll get it on. I think it was a great word from 
Absolutely. And there, oh, so Martin, just to restate a bit, so you've heard, he was saying how, you know, we make decisions and, and how do we, how do we make sure our, our ego, I mean, our ego is involved. How do we, how do we differentiate those times when, is this just what I want? Is this, is this me talking or is this the love of God and love for others? And the example Martin gave were seatbelt tickets or high, high beam ticket or also with, with raising, with raising kids. And, uh, it reminds me that sometimes, I mean, <laughs> who's, who's got a, seatbelt ticket from Martin, but uh, uh, <laughs> I want to say that given a seatbelt ticket is an expression of love. I, I, I have a good friend who, who uh, uh, ran some of the mills for Warehouser, and he, he talked about uh, getting the safety, rec- safety record down, safety record up. You know what I'm saying? Making it so it's safer. And he, he would haul every guy into his office, this is when he, he took over the mill, and he said it, it had to do with whether they should lock, lock things down properly before they went and worked. Because if they didn't, something goes wrong. People get killed, right? And remember, he looked, these, he looked every single one of these guys in the eyes and he'd say, I want you to know something. I love you so much that if you don't lock down, you're fired. Because I'd rather you flip burgers and McDonald's alive than be dead here at this mill. So I will fire you the moment you break this rule. Because I love you. And I remember thinking, whoa. That kind of Boom, harshness. I mean, the rules were all there and all the proper procedure was there. Obviously, the training was there. But to, to look at the guy in the eyes and say, it is way more important to me that you're alive, that you hate my guts, you're working somewhere else, than, than you actually die here. And recognize that sometimes the loving thing I find, and I don't have to give out seatbelt tickets, but I find that having to give that difficult message or that having to bring some sort of challenge into someone's life, I find that that's when my ego gets most involved because I really want people just to like me. Like I really don't want to say, look, this is against what Jesus has said. This is against what Jesus wants for your life. Please stop. I actually want them to like me at the end of the day. So I can do the unloving thing by not saying anything because I really at the end of the day feel like it's more important that they love me than that they love God. And that's a big challenge, I think, sometimes for us, right? Now, I'm not talking about being harsh or difficult, but I'm realizing that sometimes the most loving thing I can do is share that, that challenge and be open to it when people share that with me. Our egos are always involved. I think what the Spirit wants to do is help us. Uh, there's a lot of different things in the Bible about this where we, we don't regard ourselves more highly than we ought to or I would say more low than we ought to, that we have a balanced view. We recognize that all of us as image bearers of God, following Jesus, and many people who aren't, that we're called to love one another as we would love ourselves. And so we ask, what would I want another person to do? Would I want them to share with me honestly, or would I want them to glide over it and ignore it? Would I want them to tell me if I was in danger, or would I want them just to say, well, it's more important that they smile at me next time I see them than their life? And so to recognize that sometimes 
I need to humble myself and be ready to receive maybe difficult difficulty relationally because I really want to love one another. And we have to do that sensitively, obviously, uh, but to recognize those times when my pride can get in the way of actually loving others. Anyone else want to add to that or add something else? Joanne. Hi. So I was thinking of an example of just what you said there, Tom. Um, my mom died 10 years ago, and she was my last surviving parent. And I was doing a lot of trips to the coast. She died over about a six-month period. And a dear friend um, from the Mennonite community here grabbed my hands and looked me in the eyes and said, I think you're neglecting your family by doing all these trips. It was really hard to receive at the time because there was the emotion and the grief and everything, but totally passed the double love test and the helper hinder, those things passed. But I needed Verna, who's passed away since, to say to me, well, what about Drew and the kids? Mm-hmm. And uh, I still, in the long run, still continue to make the trips to the coast, had some wonderful times with my mom. But I, I needed someone to speak that truth into my life so I could sit down with Drew and say, wait, you know, what, what am I doing? Is this fair to all of us? And, and those, they were hard words to hear. Um, but I was so grateful for her having the courage to speak them. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Joanne. Beautiful example. Yeah. Anyone else? Um, I found it's it's kind of neat in my own life how the stronger I grow in my relationship with Christ, the more the more I love God, the more I love the people around me without even realizing that I'm doing it. Yeah. And it's kind of neat how I just kind of flows through you i guess that's what makes it singular and plural at the same time is that one can't be synonymous anyone else thanks thanks roger it is a work that god does in our hearts the Holy Spirit pours God's love into our hearts. And when we understand, when we come to understand that it's because God has loved us first, because God has poured his love into our hearts, that we're actually able to then return that love to God and love others in a way that, let's be honest, is, would, we would not have done if it was only us. We would not have done if God hadn't done a work in our hearts. We're able to love people beyond our normal capacity, whether that's our children, whether that's a spouse, whether that's the people at work or people in our community, estranged kids, all the people in our lives that loving them can be difficult. We realize that as God, as we receive the love from God, he enables us to love him in return and to love others. You know, in that passage in 1 John uh, that we read, it starts off with, we love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. It's God's love for us that's the first order. And it's only because of his love for us that Jesus is able to say, and now you can love God with everything that you are. And you can love others as you love yourself. That he's not placing some impossible burden on us. Something that we could never do. He's saying, oh no. 
I've made it possible for you to get a heart transplant. I made it possible for you to forgive where you thought well, it was impossible. I've made it possible for you to actually reprioritize your whole life around the kingdom that I have brought in Jesus. I've made it possible. And that by the Spirit He's given us, He works in our hearts so that we can live as expressions of love to God and seamlessly love those around us. What kind of difference do you think it would make in your relationships, in your workplace? What kind of difference do you think it would make in our valley, in our schools, in our coffee shops? If people were to live this double love, loving God with all that they are, loving others as themselves. What kind of difference would it make in the way that people respond to one another? In the way that they uh, you know, fulfill their business obligations? What kind of difference would it make in the way that, that kids look at their teachers and teachers their kids? What kind of difference would it make in the way you interact with your children and your children interact with you? And not just thinking at the local scale, think of it on a larger scale. What kind of difference would it make if politicians, if global movers and shakers, if, if people who are in various industries lived out this expression of love for God and love for others? What kind of difference would it make? You know, even just the second command, which I don't think is possible without the first, but even if you just took this second command and applied it in sort of a golden rule kind of way, you know, do unto others as you have them do unto you. Love your neighbor as yourself. I would dare say many of our societal problems, many of our relational problems, maybe wouldn't go away, but it sure would change things. Here's the truth of it. We as the church of God, we as the people who follow Jesus, we're called to live this kingdom of God out in every sphere of our lives without exception. So that our love for God and our love for others becomes the defining framework through which we live and the defining framework that people, as we interact with them, begin to see God and his love for us through. That when they, when they see the way that you prioritize your family, your business, when they see the way that you talk or don't talk, they begin to realize that you're living according to a different framework than everyone else. You're not just trying to get what you can get. You're not not trying to just orient everything around you and what benefits you. You're not just all about your hobbies, your distractions. That somehow you're beating, you're walking to the beat of 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 a drum that says, I want to love God with everything I am. I want to love anyone around me, whoever my neighbor is, with the same kind of regard that I would love myself. That is life transforming. And it's the kind of life transformation that God is wanting to bring to us and through us to the world. It all starts with us receiving God's love, knowing His love is greater than anything we could imagine, and asking Him by His Holy Spirit to fill us with that life-transforming love so that we can turn can love others. Let's pray and then we're going to sing a song in response to this. Jesus, you you gave us this incredible summary of the Word of God, of your kingdom. And it hits us right where we live. 
I ask, Holy Spirit, today that you would fill us, that you would pour your love into our hearts, and that our hearts, especially in those areas where we have resisted your love, we've, we've held on to bitterness, we've gripped independence, we've, we really live a narcissistic, self-centered life. I pray that as your Holy Spirit is poured in, that that old heart would be replaced by a soft, open, malleable heart, letting you love through us, allowing us to love you in return and to love others as we love ourselves. So we invite you, Holy Spirit, today, even now as we sing in response to you. In your name we pray. Amen.